Welcome to Media Matters, a special series by the Rebuildable Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Gentile, and I'll be joined by those who work out front and behind the scenes in Chicago sports media. We'll learn about their backgrounds in the industry and get their thoughts on the ongoing changes in sports media and digital content. And now, let's meet our latest guest, Casey Johnson, Bulls beat reporter from NBC Sports, Chicago. Casey, thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us. Well, I appreciate you having me. Thanks for thanks for uh, doing this. I'm, I'm happy to be here. So, funny thing is, we actually have a slight mutual connection through a, a gentleman named Mike Riley. Oh yeah. Um, Mike was one of my professors at DePaul when I was in the journalism program over there, and he's an amazing teacher, an amazing mentor, just a really good guy. And I know he was also a web editor at the Chicago Tribune in the 90s, early 2000s. And I know he crossed paths with you. Um, And if I'm remembering Mike's stories correctly, one of your earliest gigs was as a web reporter covering the 96 Bulls. Is this true? Is this accurate? This is very accurate. Mike was uh, instrumental in in, uh, a big part of uh, kind of where I am today because uh, that was actually my first big break at the Chicago Tribune. I started at the Tribune as a lowly part-time preps reporter in 1990. Uh, I'm old, by the way. And then uh, six years later, I got my first break, my first big break. I mean, I had enough happen between 90 and 96 to keep me going and keep me interested. But in 96, uh, the editors came to me and, and realized that the Bulls were such a big deal that there was, you know, more appetite for coverage. And again, how old I am, the the this thing called the World Wide Web was just uh, coming into our consciousness. And so that we had this little domain called ChicagoTribune.com that everybody was, uh, no one knew what the heck was going on with it. So they said, why don't you go cover the Bulls for ChicagoTribune.com? And I said, yes, I will. Because uh, I knew how amazing of an opportunity it was, and, and Mike was my one of my main web editors, and uh, gave me a lot of great assignments. Um, yeah, so Mike, Mike, uh, Mike was uh, a big part of my my big break of the Tribune. Yeah, Mike is all about being on the cutting edge, even now. You know, he's, he's got all these programs set up, teaching a lot of new journalism students how to hone their craft, all by being a backpack journalist. That's a term he loves to use. But I, I'm kind of curious, like. What was the the difference in responsibility of just being a, a traditional journalist and then a, a web reporter in 1996? No, it's a great question, and you know it's weird because we it was uh, unknown territory for us. Um, I will say that we were. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I I can't prove this, but I want to believe we were one of the first in uh, the country to do what is now a standard thing, and that was a mailbag. I remember doing mailbags with readers back in 1996, Bulls mailbags, which I still do to this day. And, you know, back then no one knew what the heck they were. So we were definitely on the cutting edge of that, which was really cool. Uh, but to tell you just how different it was, I mean, you know, obviously I was ecstatic to be getting this opportunity to cover the Bulls um, and, and realizing I was covering sports history, but, you know, no one knew what the heck the web was. And so, especially with me growing up with a love of newspapers, I didn't really feel completely legitimate unless I saw my name in in print. So I definitely wrote for the website as much as I could, but I also was, you know, pitching ideas to the the newspaper editors, like trying to get my name in in the big boy Tribune. And now it's (laughs) funny because here we are 24, 25 years later, and it's completely flipped. I mean, the the print product 
is obviously important, but as you know, all newspapers, it's all, you know, web driven and web centric now. So it's just amazing how in 25 years, things have, have changed so dramatically. And I, I definitely want to get into that shift and how everything kind of came full circle with you. But before we do that, I'm kind of curious, what pushed you into sports journalism? Like, was there a specific influence on you that got you into it or, or someone well, that got you into it? That, I mean, you know, it, it's probably similar to a lot of people's paths. Uh, you know, I played sports my whole upbringing. I grew up in Evanston, Illinois, went to Evanston Township High School, played, uh, you know, soccer, basketball and baseball there. Uh, continued playing basketball at a small Division three liberal arts college in Wisconsin called Beloit College. Um, so I maxed out my athletic career as far as I could go and, you know, recognized at a pretty young age that I was not going to be taking it past Division three college basketball. And I just always loved to write. So it's the classic marriage of writing and, and sports kind of merging. Um, and I got to be honest, I mean, I feel pretty lucky because I was a junior in high school at Evanston Township High School. And I knew then that I wanted to be a sports writer. And I played on a, a, a pretty great um, team there that we were uh, 32-0 and 0 and then lost in the state championship to Simeon. I was actually on the JV team because the team was so good. We had one NBA player, Everett Stevens, who played at Purdue, and then four mm-hmm. Division One starters. An amazing team. And I, I was writing for the school paper and also participating on the basketball team. So I remember sitting in the field house at Evanston Township High School interviewing Everett Stevens, who eventually went on to play in the NBA, for this feature story. And, you know, here I am a member of the basketball team, but I'm also interviewing my teammate and writing about him for the school paper. And I was, I remember literally in that moment going, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life is just talk to people and, and write about them. Um, So I feel very fortunate that at a young age, I identified what I wanted to do and I'm still doing it to this day. And then, you know, as far as influences, I mean, I was, hooked on sports illustrated and the sh- uh, like a lot of kids I-, I used to you know get the issue every week and just devour it um the- so many great writers there and then you know the tribune was a big influence on me because there were so many great sports writers at the tribune too so i i was pretty um pretty uh stereotypical like just voracious sports reader player consumer and the best advice I ever got um, was from this amazing uh, Sports Illustrated writer named Frank DeFord. Um, oh, yeah. Who, yeah, he's a legend. And um, this is a great story. Uh, he, he actually wrote a book about his daughter who died from cystic fibrosis. Um, it was a really moving book. And I read it when I was in high school. And I wrote him a handwritten letter to the offices at Sports Illustrated in New York and just sent it thinking, you know, this will be the end of this. Just telling him how much the book moved me. He actually took the time to type out and send me a personalized letter uh, acknowledging my letter. And I had told him in my letter that I wanted to be a sports writer and how much I was a sports fanatic and a sports freak. And I'll never forget. I still have the pic- the letter. Obviously, it's framed. Uh, he, he recently passed away a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and it said, uh, that's great that you want to be a sports writer. But, but trust me, you'll be a better sports writer if you broaden your horizons and don't just limit yourselves to sports. And um, you know, make sure you're not just all about sports because the broader your interests are, the more you're going to connect on a lot of different levels with a lot of different people. So here I'm getting like this incredible life advice from a legendary writer in, in Frank DeFord while I'm in high school, which was invaluable. And really, uh, when I went to Beloit College, then my interest did start to expand 
way beyond sports. I got into arts and music and philosophy and things like that. And you may not think like, okay, you know, like a philosophy class, it's not like I'm sitting down talking to like Kobe White about philosophy. However, I, what I, what I think about is like broader, the broader your life experiences are and the richer your knowledge and your curiosity base is, the better journalist you're going to be. And, and so Frank DeFord's advice was absolutely spot on. Mm-hmm. Well, to kind of piggyback off that, everyone has a different style when it comes to the reporting. Is that sort of your secret is sometimes tapping into those other things to build some of those personal relationships so that way it makes getting a story or talking with these people a little easier? Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing for me is, uh, you're right, everybody has a different style. Uh, to me, the biggest thing is just uh, connecting with people and, and doing so on a genuine level. And, uh, and it co- always coming from a base of curiosity. And so I think the more interest you have and the broader your experiences are, the more curious of a person you are. And the more curious of a person you are, the better journalist you're going to be and the better reporter you're going to be. Um, so again, when I'm sitting down with athletes, it's not like I'm you know, talking about like uh, Shakespeare or something like that all the time. But I just think that just the, the more uh, the more life experiences you have and the broader your interests are, the more you can relate to a wider variety of people. And, and it just, to me, strikes again to comfort. And I think athletes or really anyone you interview um, can cut, tell when you're coming from a place of authenticity um, and from one of comfort and from one of genuineness. Um, and that's what I try to bring to my reporting style, um, you know, through my career. I guess it, it takes reporters a while to really hone their craft. At what point in your career did you realize that you started hitting your stride a little more? That's a great question. I would say that uh, one, one, one season really stands out to me because you're absolutely right. So when I, I got that incredible dream assignment from 96, 98, covering that second 3P team for the web and, and pitching stories for the newspaper, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I mean, I was just <laughs> winging, it, winging it and making it up as I go, go went along. Obviously, without sounding pretentious, I felt like I could write. I felt like I was a good writer. But you know, in terms of like how to conduct yourself in a locker room, how to ask questions, how to not always just be hammering athletes for information and developing like relationships with them and talking to them casually. I didn't know any of that stuff. So I was just a sponge watching, you know, incredible pros like Sam Smith, Melissa Isaacson, Skip Myslinski, Bob Verde, Bernie Lincecum, Terry Armour, um, you know, the list goes on and on. I'm not going to leave anybody out, but um, I was just a sponge. So, um, and then I got my first solo beat in 98 for the Tribune. They, they put me on the Blackhawks for a couple of years. And uh, a, another guy that was really, uh, that I learned a lot about on how to cover a beat was Brian Hanley, the uh, longtime Sun-Times writer and, and score host, who's now doing a hockey show on uh, ESPN 1000. He was he and Tim Sassone, the late Tim Sassone from the Daily Herald, were really, really welcoming and took me under their wing. And the three of us covered that beat, you know, competing, but also getting along uh, for those two years. So I learned a lot from them, too. But as far as hitting my stride, I would say that 0405 bull season, uh, which was that uh, first season of Dang, uh, Gordon and Nocioni and the second season of Heinrich. And Scott Skiles' second season, that 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 was really where I felt like I'd been I'd been a solo beat writer for about six or seven years. Then I really, really connected with that team. It was an unexpected story. It was an unlikely story, that team kind of starting 0-9 and then 
obviously becoming the first team since the dynasty to make the playoffs. And I had really good relationships throughout the team with the assistant coaching staff, with Skiles, with the players. And I really felt connected with that team. And that, that's probably the first season where – and so you're talking, you know, uh, 96 was my first break. That's 0405. You're talking eight, nine years into my mm-hmm. writing career where I really kind of first felt like, all right, I can do this, you know? So it, it yeah. does take a while to kind of hit your stride. Uh, you know, everybody's story is different, but that's that to answer your question, that's when I really felt locked in and, and connected and kind of felt like I was no longer clueless. Well, so just for our listeners, Casey and I are doing this uh, over video, and I'm I'm kind of got this this shit eating grin on my face because that's actually the first season I think I actually remember reading your stuff because that's when I was really getting into basketball. This was probably my sort of my sophomore year of high school, and I was really starting to get into into Bulls basketball because it was the first time like after the Jordan era they they were starting to become competitive. And that's when I was starting to consume content on a daily basis. And I just, I always remember reading your pieces and Sam Smith coming up with ridiculous trades to make at the deadline. So it's just funny hearing you say that because that was a fun season. And, you know, it's always, I feel like those seasons are always the best to, to watch as a fan. I'm sure they're fun to cover too, as a reporter, because you're kind of watching something get built from the ground up. For sure. And I've said actually in other podcasts and other, and I might've even written this in a mailbag or something that, that, that actually is my favorite all time season to cover. I would say the 10, 11 road season is probably a close second. And then the 97, 98, you know, last championship would probably be my third, but that old four Oh five season, because of the reasons I just uh, elucidated was so impactful to me because you're right. It's an unexpected su- success story and it was with guys that, you know, were, were fresh and kind of wide-eyed. You know, Gordon and Dang were mm-hmm. rookies. Nocioni was a rookie, even though he's a little bit older. Um, and, you know, again, the 0-9 start, you can't you can't analyze that season without throwing in that component to it. So um, it was really fun. And, I again, I just really felt connected to that team. I was obviously younger then. Uh, so the age d- discrepancy between myself and the players wasn't as large as it is now. Um so they, yeah, definitely, definitely, a, definitely a fun season. So yeah, I'm primarily a, a Bulls podcaster. You know, I'm, I host a Bulls podcast, and, but I know myself and and probably hundreds of other Bulls podcasters out there. I think we all agree you're our go-to reporter for Bulls coverage. Okay, so like, whenever Casey Johnson writes something, we read it, we digest it, we dissect it, we overanalyze it, and we react to it. Um, because we know it's accurate. And I think other folks in the media and probably casual Bulls fans would agree with that assessment. When you hear someone like me say that, or you hear other people say that to you, how does it make you feel like, because you're kind of a, a pretty laid back kind of chill guy, but when people say that about you, does, does it, I'm just curious how that makes you feel. Uh, it just makes, I, first of all, I appreciate it obviously, but it just makes me feel like I'm doing my job because I mean, your job is to be accurate. And I, look, I have not gotten everything right over the years. I've, 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 had, you know, reporting mistakes and, you know, beat writer mistakes. I mean, that's just part of the gig. Um, you're not going to get everything right and you're not going to you know, always be perfect, but that's what, what I love about beat writing is the next day you wake up and you've got another opportunity to just kind of make things uh, go forward. And that's, you know, it all comes back to developing relationships that are hopefully built on trust and integrity and, and moving forward. But um, yeah, just, I mean, 
I appreciate it. Definitely. I'm not like being, uh, 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 brushing it off quickly, but I would literally just say like, that's your job. You know I mean? If, if you're not getting it right, you're not doing your job right. And again, I, that means I have failed because I have not got it all, all right over the years, but, uh, you know, there's also the cliche, uh, stamp statement, which is hundred percent true. It's better to be right than to be first. I mean, you know, that mm -hmm. is a standard cliche in journalism and it's a hundred percent true. And, you know, in this day and age, scoops are very different because back in the day, if you got a scoop, you know, before the web, you know, you, you either celebrated for 24 hours or you, you wore it, as we say in the business, for 24 hours. If your competitor beat you, you wore it for 24 hours. There's no worse feeling. There's no worse feeling back in the day than waking up and pulling out the Sun-Times and going, oh, my gosh, they've got something you don't. And just knowing there's nothing you can back then, there's nothing you can do about it now, you know. Woj or Shams tweets it and, you know, two minutes later we can get it confirmed. So it's different. But I always say there, there's another lesson in this. Like if somebody has information that you don't have, your job then is to try to advance that. Okay. So mm -hmm. everyone's going to get beat in this business. Okay. That's just the nature of the business. If you get beat on something, your job is to then get it confirmed and try to advance it, get something else, move it forward. So mm -hmm. it's a, it's a it's a relentless uh, gig, but it's, you know, I would say it beats a real job. You know what? It, it is funny because when you look at, especially in the NBA, Shams, Woj, tweet it. They almost tweet it simultaneously. But I know I'm, this is just, I know for me, I like to then get more detail behind the story. And I think that's where you're right. Other reporters can come in and, and do that. You know, provide context to why this signing happened, why this trade happened. Is there any other important details related to contracts? Like, there's there's a lot that goes into it than just breaking it. Yeah, and for sure. And well, a couple of things I would say to that. I mean, that's kind of where the delineation has happened in our business because of the age we live in now. Is the national people invariably break the stories, and then the local people delve into more context. Now, I want to emphasize, like. It's not like Woj doesn't know enough about the Bulls that he couldn't go into context if he wanted to. I mean, he's as right. he's as connected and as plugged in as anybody I've ever met or known. And I, I know Woj really well. He's, he's a friend of mine. Um, so I want to emphasize that. But, yeah, I mean, that's kind of where we're at is, you know, and this transcends like all sports. Like, you know, invariably Adam Schefter will break something in, on an NFL beater, Rappaport or, you know, I don't know that beat as well, but those are some names that come to mind. And then the local people will – uh, delve into context. Although I got to shout out my my buddy Brad Biggs of the Trib. He's been killing it on this uh, Bears offseason. He I think he had the fuller. Uh, I mean, he didn't have it nailed down, but I think he was the first one to suggest it was coming. Um, so you know, and, and like I, that's what I always say. Like the big stories, I still try to be competitive on those. Um, you know, uh, some ones recent ones that come to mind. You know, like the Derrick Rose trade. I, I was the first one to get the details of that. Um, Dwayne Wade buyout. I was the first one to get the details of that. But then, you know, um, you know, Woj got the Donovan stuff. So I, I don't get all the local ones. But on the big local ones, the ones you know that are coming, like the Boylan story, we were all on, you know, high alert for that. I felt like I was trying to be competitive on that. But, you know, if there's a mm -hmm. trade between now and Thursday involving the Bulls, I, I'm, obviously I'm trying to get it. But it's more likely that Woj or Shams will get that first. And then it's our job to, as you say, kind of, contextualize it and, and go into further detail from, from it. So I, I want to get into where you're at now, because you spent, you said almost well, roughly 30 years. Yeah. 30 years at, at the Chicago Tribune almost. And 
moved to NBC Sports Chicago in 2019. What made you decide to explore a new opportunity after those many years of the trip? No, it's a great question. Um, and it was a difficult decision for me because I love newspapers to death. I still believe in newspapers. I'm still a proud Chicago Tribune print subscriber. I never thought I would leave newspapers. I had other opportunities before this one to leave newspapers. And I I never did. I mean, I really think it was just, uh, you know, your classic confluence of events, right? So NBC was uh, on the front end of a new five-year rights deal with the Bulls. Um, they pursued me pretty aggressively. I had actually um, had talks with them at a different stage in my career and, and just wasn't ready to leave the Tribune. And so I was familiar kind of with the, the job itself and what went into it. And, um, you know, it really was less to do with things in the Tribune and just more, it finally seemed like the right time to try to take another opportunity. And it really comes down to um, having done what I've done so long in the Tribune, um, I'm in my early to mid fifties now, and I really felt, so this was two years ago, I was 52 at the time, 51 or 52 at the time. I, I felt like who gets an opportunity like this at this stage of their career to push themselves out of their comfort zone. So, you know, I knew there was gonna be a little bit of a TV element in this job. I'm not, I don't consider myself a TV person at all. I don't think I'm very good on TV. And I really felt like it was a chance to challenge myself to get better at that and try a different skill set, try a different muscle, so to speak, uh, 30 years into a career. And I, the writing component is still really important to me. It's what I, that's what I consider myself as a writer. Um, so that I still take really seriously. And so it's just, you know, classic right opportunity at the right time kind of thing. Um, and that's, mm -hmm. that's why I made the jump. Before you made the leap, I know occasionally, like we were talking about this offline, you you did David Kaplan's show on NBC Sports Chicago, Sports Talk Live. Uh, before that, it was Chicago Tribune Live. You did some, I remember you would do videos sometimes on the Tribune's website where you'd go over your mailbag. But I mean, what is the biggest, I guess, the adjustment or what is the biggest difference taking on this, this multimedia role uh, as opposed to the traditional role that you had as just a standard beat writer? Yeah, so I would say two things. So at the Tribune, since it's just a newspaper, although they, you're right, they, they do try to branch out into some other things now. And there's there's a little bit more of a multimedia role for sure. But I, for the for the most part, it was kind of like I was the master of my domain. Like the Bulls beat was mine and my editors trusted me and just I was on an island and just kind of did my own thing. At NBC Sports Chicago, I'm part of a team. We have, you know, another reporter with me, Rob Schaefer, who's fantastic at what he does. Mm -hmm. I, I work, I, I, I kind of deal with both the digital side, which is writing for the website, and what they call the linear side, which is the TV side. So I'm just, I'm just pulled in a lot more different directions. And I, that sounds like a negative statement. It's not. I'm just describing like what's happening. I'm just, I'm just serving a lot of different kind of areas, and that's why I took it was to challenge myself. And you know, there's also uh, the podcasting opportunities where we tape the Bulls talk uh, podcast twice a week. So, um, but you know, the TV component, like I said before, was something I, that really appealed to me because I just felt like it was a time in my career to, to challenge myself and try something different. And I got to be honest, um, you know, the pandemic has kind of changed my TV role in season two of, of this move. But I got to be honest, that first year, I was way more into the TV element than I thought I would be. Um, I really started mm -hmm. to enjoy my pregame hits with Jason Goff and Kendall and Will. 
And, you know, I was the one always flying around. So, like, you know, I'd be courtside in Madison Square Garden and staring into a camera like I'm doing now and talking back to those guys in the studio. And I felt like we developed, like, a really cool rapport. And then I got mm-hmm. to do the, uh, the walk-off interviews um, only after road victories because um, uh, Layla Rahimi at the time was our sideline reporter for home home games so she would handle the home walk-off interviews and like that that's like my comfort zone is just hanging out and like make trying to make a player laugh and doing a couple funny three mm-hmm. questions hit uh but what was hilarious is that first season i think i did like three walk-off interviews because i only had like three road victories that year yeah <laughs> so like i was really I, I and now this year they're like winning on the road all the time and adam and stacy do the walk-offs because they're you know mm-hmm. in the broadcast and i'm sitting here at home doing everything on, on zoom. So it's just kind of funny, but, um, but yeah, so I, I gotta be honest, uh, the TV element, uh, was uh, more appealing to me than I thought it would be. But at the end of the day, my, my reporting and my writing is, is still the most, uh, impactful and important aspect to my job. Well, and it, I think it also speaks to the fact you're, you're at the end of the day, you are a reporter, right? Like that's, that's your core of the job. And it's probably why the TV element of doing the walk-off interviews probably appeals to you. Cause it's, it's a very raw moment, you know? For sure. For sure. There was one game where they won. I remember some crazy uh, game in, in DC and they played like a home game right before that where, uh, um, uh, they also won in crazy fashion. And my first question to Zach, we did the walk-off interview with Zach was, uh, you know, can you guys ever play a normal game? You know, like I just, and it just came to me like in the moment and not like it's an earth shattering question, but it just, you're right. It strikes to like, what I like to do is I like to have a conversational approach with players and, and Zach even started like laughing, you know, on the air and stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's, it's fun. I mean, like I said, I, I didn't have any idea what the TV element would be, uh, but I, that was a big appeal to me to the job. And, um, you know, hopefully we'll get into the next season and get past this pandemic and, and see if that those opportunities kind of represent themselves a little bit. I think what's been kind of interesting, too, as somebody that, you know, watched the games last year where you were doing the TV role. And, I, you know, I love the the Bulls Talk podcast. I think I, I like the blending of, of different personalities on there because you got, you know, Jason, who's I mean, he's a natural conversationalist. He's He's been on radio for years. I, I'm a huge fan of Rob Schaefer. He's been on the podcast before on uh, Rebuildable. He's great. Very analytical, you know, and you kind of bring veteran experience. You, I also think you get to bring out your personality a little bit because you do have a dry sense of humor that I think is, is really like, I like it. I know a lot of Bulls fans like it too. Um, it's kind of nice that more people are getting to, to kind of experience that side of you. Uh, how do you enjoy the podcasting though, specifically? It's a, it's a different kind of medium to get into. Yeah, it's it, it's and it, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. You, you the aspect that you just dived into is is the one thing I like. I really feel I, I we've said this amongst ourselves. I really feel like we've got like a barbershop kind of like feel to our podcast because we've got three incredibly different backgrounds and people and 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 uh, perspectives coming to the same place. And Jason has just got an incredible gift for. You know, just kind of, I, I almost feel like he's like a jazz musician. Like he'll just riff and, and, you know, sometimes he'll just hit on magic by riffing, you know, and, and, yeah. and Rob, Rob is like, I, I've said this ad nauseum to him, to our bosses, to everybody. I mean, the dude is like, I, I've rarely been around a young journalist who is as sharp and as humble and as hardworking as that dude. He, he's, that guy's going to go places. He's absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and then, yeah, I, I do feel like I bring a little bit of a veteran experience. Um, it is different. I, it's nice you say that my personality is coming out a little bit more. I'm still, I, there are days I got to be honest, I'm into that. Uh, and there are days where I'm just not because, you know, when I got in this business, your entire objective as a reporter was to be an anonymous gray byline in the newspaper. Look, those days are a million years ago. They're never coming back. We are supposed to offer more analysis and personality and all that stuff. But there are still times where I'm doing it and I just am not in the mood to produce takes. I'm just in the mood to produce information. And, yeah. and so that's a contrast even to this day that I'm struggling with a little bit. But for the most part, you know, look, it's it's I understand, you know, NBC Sports Chicago uh, hired me to be that person and bring my personality and analytical ability, whatever I have. And they, they pay me a nice wage to do so. So I need to embrace that, you know? So uh, I'm thankful for them to give me these opportunities and, and I I've got to shed the, uh, you know, the anonymous gray byline mindset that I sometimes still fall into because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a traditionalist and um, but I also recognize those days are never coming back and they're a million years ago. You naturally rolled into what was going to be my next question about just how do you blend those two capabilities? But it definitely is where the industry, I wouldn't even say is going. It's where it's already at. I think people expect their reporters that they see cover stuff to provide deeper analysis and opinion, you know, and it is it is a stark contrast. You're right from what you learn traditionally when you when you go into journalism school and then you know hone your craft. Yeah, but I mean, here we're kind of like breaking down like my uh, super uh, allegedly global career, and I'm saying that facetiously now because like you know I look up, <laughs> I look at guys like you know you can, you can you can you can be that TV and personality person, but still be one of substance. And now I'm thinking of guys like. Tom Verducci or Ken Rosenthal and baseball covered. I mean, those guys are like just as good as it gets, you know, and they, when they go on the air, when they talk, you know, you're going to get like incredibly factual, well-reported information. Right. And yet they're still kind of, you know, giving a little bit of their personality with their sideline hits or, or what have you. And, and I'm drawing a blank on analogies for other sports right now, including the sport I cover, but those are the guys that like I pop into mind right now. So that's, that's to me is at the end of the day, you nailed it before, like I'm a reporter and I hopefully at the de- end of the day when I'm doing a TV hit or a podcast or whatever, my job is to provide information. Now, obviously now I'm also providing some personality or analysis at times, but it still comes down to gathering and producing information. And so that, that, that skill, all the things we're talking about, it derives from reporting in my opinion. Mm-hmm. That's my approach to it. And, and so that, that's the base uh, that I work from. I know that for sure. Well, and and that's something that I always say. Actually, uh, in you know the normal episodes of my of my podcast is whenever whenever you've like written a column, I've always said, well, if Casey's writing a column, it's coming from an informative stance. It's not just throwing shit at the wall and seeing if it sticks. There's probably some fact base behind it. So I, I think that's an important thing for a lot of people to know. There, there's a difference between a talking head. And a reporter providing a nuanced take, which I think is something that you and people like Rob and, you know, I know some people get upset with him, even Joe Colley provide, um, you know, so it, it's different than just if it's watching first take. Yeah, I got to start coming on this. 
Yeah, I gotta start coming on this more often because you're making me uh, blush. My ego is getting a boost here, man. So no, no, but I, I think you're right. I mean, like, yeah, I think, I mean, Joe's a newspaper man. I mean, you know, whether it's a column or not, he's coming from you know a place of mm-hmm. uh, informed opinion, or at least he's. The the point is like, if we're writing a column, it's still our opinion. But we've had discussions to help produce that column, right? And, yep. and so, yeah, I agree with that for sure. Now that you're kind of getting this broader experience into into multimedia, you've seen what's happened in the industry over the years, uh, how things have radically changed. Where do you think this is all heading in the next five or 10 years in sports media? What do you think is going to start breaking through a little more? No, I, I mean, I'm going to give bad uh, bad audio alert here. I mean, I, I have no idea. It's changed so much, obviously, just in, in every aspect of my career that it's impossible for me to predict. What I, what I would say is um, my sense of, uh, I mean, I mean, the teams control, the teams and players control the message so much more now than they did before. Access is not what it used to be. Um, and there's just so many outlets for players to kind of get their own message across that that's been a big shift uh, since I started. And my guess is that that trend will continue, like we'll be relegated even more. So at the end of the day, we'll, we'll probably, I think the trend towards more just analysis or observations from us will be kind of more the norm that, you know, when I, when I first started, you'd go to the game and you'd actually write about what happened in the game and you'd, interview the players after it was very cookie cutterish, but to me, then the writing was almost more important because the writing is how you differentiate yourself. Now it's, you know, you watch the game and you try to come up with a, like an angle or a take or a column or analysis off of it. And you, you augment it. At least I do. Some people may may not like augment it with quotes from the people that you're covering. So my guess is the trend towards analysis and observations from people like us will further entrenched than what what they already are now because you know just just going to report on what happened in the game that that stuff especially with how much access is controlled now will become less and less important yeah and that, that's actually an interesting point you bring up too because I, I remember years ago you would read an actual game story yeah and you like you said you fill in quotes but you were really just describing what happened in the game now it's almost like you're focusing on one granular instance and just taking that and saying, all right, well, wait, why did that happen? Like somebody's on the bench for an extended period of time. Why is that happening? You know, why is Laurie on the bench? Why, you know, why is that getting more minutes? And that becomes the stories you cover. Those used to be the supplemental stories that would go along with the game story. For sure. hundred percent, hundred percent. And and like I said, the trend towards controlling access is just really increased lately. And then the pandemic obviously is throwing another huge wrinkle into it. Um, and, you know, we're going to quite frankly ha- have to fight f- to make sure our access is restored to even what it was before the pandemic in terms of like locker room access and things like that. I mean, you know, I mean, Europe, uh, you know, I've covered two Olympics, Europe, Europe. And, and at one time I was around uh, Manchester United soccer um, club for a uh, feature story of the Tribune when I was working at the Tribune Europe, they they do they reporters aren't in the locker rooms there. They do a thing called a mix zone where players come off the field of play and they walk through this area that's kind of called a mix zone. And reporters are stationed there and they stop and reporters have to then just go and there's like a rope separating you. That's that's their access over in Europe. Um, so you know, will it get to like that here in the states? I don't know. I mean, I hope not because you know the locker room is 
is a pretty important place for us reporters uh, to develop relationships and try to get exclusive stuff. So we'll see where it goes. But I, I do know that the trend towards controlling access has been pretty pre prevalent in the last uh, two to five years. And actually, I want to follow up on one quick thing you you brought up there about players kind of having a, a, a say or, or really having their their opinions now a little more out there in, in the open. And, and you, know, you got like the Players' Tribune, a lot of these athletes, they share their thoughts in Instagram posts and on social media all the time. How, um, I don't know, how, how do you think people in your role as a reporter have to kind of balance this out a bit? Is there a way to do it or is it just going to be troubleshooting along the way and finding out what that is? No, I think, it's, I think it's the latter. Cause I mean, there's, I mean, obviously the God bless the players, they should have that right. If that's what they want to do, go, you know, if they want to write an essay in per players tribune or post something in their Instagram page, that's, that's, they're right. I mean, this is a privilege that we're we're granted this access that, that that we have, and so we I treat it as such. But so yeah, I can't stop that. I wouldn't try to fight it. I would just try to figure it out as we as we go along, um, you know, and seeing where where this goes in terms of the future with with access and things like that. Casey, thank you for joining me to talk about sports media, your background. Definitely appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Well, I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Media Matters, a series by the Rebuildable Podcast. For more episodes, please subscribe to the Rebuildable Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever else you stream your podcasts. Yeah.